So my name is Sebastian Brandt, uh, Sebastian Brandt in French, and I'm married with Jessica. Uh, she was born in France, but she's Italian. And we have three kids, Charlene, she's 15, Amy, she's 11, and now we, Julian, is four. So three kids. We are, my wife and I, working with the GLOW at the GLOW Center. Uh, we're living in a manse, uh, both at the GLOW mission and also with Tisley College. So we are both, you know, hot here. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about your story coming to Scotland. What happened to you? <laughs> it's a long story, do you have time? Um, so, uh, I grew up in a kind of destructed family. My mom divorced when I was quite young, never met my father. Um, and God was my father, literally my father. We, we made a deal together because I never met my father. So, through God, I met Jesus. And I became just on fire for Jesus many, many years ago. And all my life I wanted to serve the Lord. And uh, before we arrived here four years, five years ago, I uh, was running five companies in building, building companies. And uh, through a lot of circumstances, I lost, we lost everything. Uh, not because of the companies, but because of the uh, leaders, my two associates and I. And... At 35 years old, that was me. No house, no cars, no cash. Three kids, a wife. But in peace. I know it sounds crazy to say that, but I was such in peace. Because I knew God was doing something. I was involved in my church, preaching, leadership, almost an elder. Um, which is something to say in my church. I was in training to be an elder for 10 years. <laughs> So, yeah, it's a, it's a long process. But that was us involved in, in a kind of uh, you know, ministry for the Lord and uh, asking this question one morning, what could you do if you start afresh your life? What do you want to do if you start afresh your life? And that was my wife asking this question to me. And I said, listen, I want to serve the Lord. Not just as we did now, but I mean, full time, we just go and serve the Lord and for different reasons, we arrived in Tisley College three years ago. Uh, a friend of mine, David Sutherland, uh, working with Echoes International, um, said, you should go in the Promised Land. I said, well, Israel? He said, no, no, Scotland. So <laughs> that's me in the Promised Land in Scotland. And since almost four years now, I'm, I'm here. Um, so I've done the three years course in Tisley, working with them. Even when I was a student, I was already working with them. And, so, so what does your job uh, entail? And you were mentioning your, your wife's also working there. Yeah, so we are both GLOW missionary, which means we are living by faith. There is no salary in the GLOW center at all. Um, she's involved most of the time in social media, which is Facebook, um, inter in Instagram, uh, Twitter, and websites as well. So her job is to promote GLOW and the work of GLOW, not just in Scotland, but across Europe, and mainly in France and in Italy, because she speaks French and Italian. And um, my role is to develop the GLOW teams in the summer. I don't know if you heard about that. So GLOW do kind of mission trip for the summer. So we have 35 teams during the summer in Europe. So I'm, I'm connected with all these kind of guys, and I'm developing that. So I'm creating new teams 
Um, that's just maybe 20% of my job. The rest of my time, I'm with the students in Tisley College, doing some lecturing, but not that much. Uh, I'm more concerned about their spiritual development, discipleship. Uh, so basically, I'm the one who slaps students when they don't read their Bible for themselves, when they don't pray for themselves, because they used to read a lot, to study a lot, but sometimes you get lost because you do just study, and you produce knowledge, and you forget that living with God is the relationship. So I'm the guy who said, do you have a relationship with God? Do you pray alone with God? Do you worship God alone? And, uh, and I just you know, take care of them. We are living in a center because where we are welcoming them you know, for teas and coffees and my wife is a brilliant cook, so she's Italian. Very good. Um, so what church are you fellowshipping in? You mentioned you've moved recently. Yeah, we, because I was a student, I was with Gary Blair in New Craig. Um, but since I'm not anymore a student, last year we moved to Liberty Church. Uh, Stephen McCoy, David Bigart, don't know if you know them. Um, but I know quite a lot of church around as well. So, yeah, Lindsay, Riverside, all these kind of churches. I'm connected with as well. Yes, yeah, so he was sharing to me how preaching regularly at Lindsay Christian Fellowship yeah. folks knows Andrew Lockhart and such like. Um, if you had two prayer points you'd like us to pray for you and the family or the, the work you're doing? Um, well, the main one will be discipleship um, because my girl, 15 years old, she is baptized since June, and the other one is a pure evangelist. Uh, but I struggle because I want them to. To develop this, you know, maturity with the Lord, and the wee one is a bit too young at the at the stage. But I pray also for him, and discipleship for my wife and I, for my kids and the student with us. Uh, my dream is to see, but don't say that too loud. But my dream is to see a revival in Scotland. Uh, you know, 15 years old to 25 years old, burning for the Lord in the streets. That will be my dream, and I pray that that will happen one day. Um, discipleship. And also, uh, I'm praying for the church where we are at at the minute. Um, we need to do a lot. We have a lot of non-Christian, and we need to develop relationship with them. We need to take care of them, and that's on my heart as well. And, uh, you said two, but I have a third one. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, so I'm French, as you know. Uh, French family living by faith in a country who is leaving Europe. Um, it sounds maybe crazy, but that brings a lot of issues for us and also for our ministry uh, because GLOW is GLOW Europe mission, so we are working in Europe. If uh, there is difficulties to go or to come in, in Scotland, that will bring more issues for our ministries and for us particularly because as French, um, you know, I, I'm in the process, I said that to you, I'm in the process to change my driving license. My French driving license to a British one because our government said you, you should be scared, <laughs> so we change our driving license. And the next step maybe will be to become Scottish. Those <laughs> <laughs> was worst things. You, you, you see that uh, yeah, I never said British, I said Scottish. <laughs> I learned after four years, I learned. Very good. Thanks very much for being put on the spot. Fantastic. Um, I just thought it would be nice just for us to get to know our brother. You will excuse my accent. If you don't understand me, you just throw some tomatoes and put it under your seat. Uh, you ask me to repeat. You just we have no clue the sentence, the word. Could you repeat again, please? 
Um, that's the way I, you know, I leave church with my family. Um, when I say family, I'm talking about you. Uh, that, that's another story, maybe one day I will tell you why I changed church for family. But the family of God, you and me, we are going to read the Word of God. Uh, Mark 12, if you have your Bible. And I'm going to give a little bit of context and why I choose this text um, because of this summer, in fact. This summer I went in a glow team, as you know now what is a glow team in Italy and France and serving in a Christian camp. And I'm always fascinated to ask questions to people. Why you believe? What do you believe? Why you do church like that? And um, I was intrigued by some Italian believers, by the way they expressed their faith, their beliefs. And in fact, I was interesting to understand their expectation regarding Jesus. And this word is really important for us tonight. Expectation. And asking questions about salvation, the kingdom. And nothing was wrong with their beliefs. Okay, I'm nobody to contradict that. But I realized that how our expectation can affect the way we are looking to Jesus. The way we are looking to His truth or simply God. And to be fair, I think all generations face the same problem. What is our expectation when we look at Jesus, His ministry, His word? The text I selected tonight is the, uh, chapter 12 of Mark. And Jesus teaching to His disciples, pointing false expectation concerning His coming. So I'm going to read just a part of Mark, and you will understand how I work. I'm read the core of the text for me, but I will refer to all the chapter during um, the two hours we are together tonight. So if you want, yeah. <laughs> so if you want to let your Bible open to the chapter 12, you stay with me. Uh, so I'm reading from the verse 35, but as I said, I will use all the chapter. Verse 35 to 44. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why do you teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself called him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he told Jesus said, Watch out from the teacher of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted, greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor and of banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished more severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offering were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Amen. We know that Jesus entered in Jerusalem 
because that's described in a chapter, the previous chapter. And when he enters in Jerusalem, he provokes questions and anger, especially to the people of God. You know these guys, those who know everything, Pharisees, Sadducees, the teacher of the law. And Jesus will refer to them um, in this chapter. Their reaction is quite hard toward Jesus. They said to Jesus in Luke 19.39, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. We want them quiet. They don't know. We know. We need to understand the context of this guy. The context of God's people, the Israelites. At this particular time of their history, they are lost. In many ways, they are just lost. Jesus provokes reaction because he is challenging their expectations. What are their expectations? Well, as you probably remember, the Jews were expecting a king. And I'm pleased about the song we sung. Because king is probably repeated, I don't know, a dozen, twenty times in these songs. So, they were expecting a king. A savior. A messiah. A king able to release them from the Romans' oppression. A king who will restore the kingdom of Israel. John 6.15 tells us that the people is ready to take Jesus by force to make him king. But Jesus came to free people from a bigger problem. He came to free humanity from sin. Why are they so blind? Why don't they understand that Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah? I believe that they are too focused on what they want rather than what Jesus can offer to them. Their expectation is wrong. And it's interesting to see later in the story of the Gospel that even the disciples, the disciples, even them, they are a bit lost. They don't understand fully what kind of king Jesus is. And listen carefully. After Jesus' resurrection, okay, after, not before, after they met him, so after Jesus' resurrection, they meet Jesus and they ask to Jesus, Lord, are you at that time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Even them, they're a bit lost because this expectation is so deep in their mind, in their spirit, they cannot detach that false truth from their mind. They can't understand why Jesus came. They will need to receive the Holy Spirit to fully understand what kind of kingdom, what kind of king Jesus is. Then the Holy Spirit will help them to remember Jesus' teaching regarding this work of salvation and the need to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God to humanity. Because Jesus is not fighting the human enemy, the Romans, the Pharisees and the Sadducees want to eradicate this false teacher, this Jesus. He cannot be the promised Messiah. That's not possible. Therefore, they test Him. That's important to understand that. They are testing Him to reveal who He really is. An imposter. You're not the Messiah. And all the chapter 12 is about that. Testing Jesus, asking questions to Jesus, because they are waiting something, 
and they believe is not the one who can meet the expectation. Which is true, in a sense. Look repeatedly in the chapter 12, they challenge Jesus. First, the Pharisees, our friends, and Herodians ask about paying the imperial tax to Caesar. Mark 12, 13. Later, they send some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch in in his words. It's not nice. They're not coming to just ask simple question. They want to catch him. Then the Sadducees ask questions. Mark 12, 18. Then the Sadducees who said there is no resurrection came to him with a question. Guess about what? Later, the teacher of the law questioned him again. Mark 12, 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus has given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? They all try their best to catch him, to make him ridiculous, because they don't know who Jesus is, the Son of God. You see how their expectation, their question are wrong. Not asking question, but they ask question with an answer already in their mind. And that's where they're wrong. But it's interesting to notice that even blind, they are not stupid. They know that Jesus is speaking about them. They know that Jesus is revealing their blindness. Look at Mark 12, 12. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, basically all of them, Pharisees, Sadducees, all of them, looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable, the parable of the tenants, against them. But they were afraid of the crowd. So they left him and went away. The parable of the tenant is used by Jesus to represent what their religious people are going to do to Jesus and their mindset as well because they have wrong expectation regarding Jesus. If you look briefly, because I don't want to spend time in this parable, verse 7 and 8, just these two verses, but the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. Their motivation is to, listen carefully, their motivation is to inherit a land that is not theirs, and could never be theirs. And that's exactly what the Pharisees, the doctor of the law, that's exactly what they want. They want to take Jesus, to kill him, to throw him away, because they want the kingship. They want to be the boss. But they are not. And they will never be. Because we are not talking about an earthly kingdom. We are talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus demonstrated in several occasions their blindness. But each time, Jesus led the opportunities to understand who he is. Because he is merciful. Because he is patient. Doing so, Jesus wants them to change and accept who he is. First occasion, the parable of the tenants. 12 verse 1 to 11. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He is telling them, the stone you want to reject, me, is the cornerstone. Therefore, you can't reject it. I'm the cornerstone. Why you want to reject me? You can't. You try to reject something you cannot reject. 
Because I'm God. Second equation, occasion, sorry. The tax, verse 13 and 17, give back to Caesar what is to Caesar's. That's their questions. And Jesus continued, and God was his God. Therefore, everything is from God. What are you talking about? You're talking about tax. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I'm the king. Why are you rejecting me? Just think carefully. Everything belongs to God. Third occasion. Occasion. I will, <laughs> I will say that right. Marriage and resurrection. 1827. He's not the God of the dead, but the living. You are not focusing on the right things. Again, their expectation, the Sadducees, is to talk about the resurrection. And Jesus says, wait a minute, you're wrong. Why are you talking about marriage? I'm talking about life, eternal life, because God is the God of life, not of death. Why are you talking about death? You see, again, expectation. They are waiting an answer, and he's not giving this answer. He's talking about something else. God is a living one. You're ask, asking questions about dead one. And your question is just showing you nonsense. Because Jesus said, I'm the life. Why are you talking about dead people? Fourth occasion, the greatest commandment. Here, they are almost there. They almost understood the teaching of Jesus. They are not far from the kingdom of God, Jesus said to them. Yeah, indeed God's love is at the center of God's message. He gave His Son for us by love. So we are called to love Him first and to love one another. With the same love, He loved us. Keep that in mind, this comment, because we come back to that later on. Love God and love one another. In 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, said John, Let us love one another, for love comes come from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. If you love God and love one another, you are from God. But here again, they miss the point. They do not understand who is Jesus. Because they were not expecting a Savior for their sins. A Savior who will change also their privileges because it's not anymore about their power and rules but about a king who are ready to die for his people. How could you match that in your brain? You're the real rulers of the, you know, the people. Yeah, you have the Romans, but you, know, you deal with them. Bit of money, bit of stuff, whatever. You deal with the power, but you are the real power of the Jewish people. And then Jesus is coming and he says, You know what? I'm going to die for you. And I'm your king. What? It's a nonsense. Well, that's true. It's a nonsense if your expectation it's a king who will kick out the rooms. Not if you expect a king who will bleed for you. And pay for you. Dying for you. Jesus replies pointing to the problem. I am God. You just forgot about that. I am God. The problem of the people of God, the people of God, or should I say our problem as well, is better than the fact that people are not able to recognize who is Jesus. The Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the Savior of the world. Again, the songs. That was quite powerful. 
people are happy to see Jesus as an historical character, a wise man, a clever leader. Some even see him as a prophet. But they don't recognize him as God from all eternity. So Jesus developed, and we read that. That's my central part. Chapter 12, 35 to 37. It's interesting to see how clever is Jesus. That sounds maybe random to you to say that, but Jesus is really clever. He's talking to Pharisees, Sadducees, teacher of the law. Which law? Scripture. What is Scripture? The Old Testament. New Testament doesn't exist. Old Testament, okay? The First Testament. He's pointing to the First Testament, to people who are knowing this Testament by heart, maybe. And he's come to the Psalm 110. Probably one of the best known psalms in the Bible from them. Jesus is quoting a verse that people of the law know very well to show them who he is. But apparently they don't understand it. I'm impressed by the Lord. Because he's used a text about the King David to show his own kingship. You see that? The people are expecting a king. A religious leader are expecting a king. And Jesus is saying, I'll give you a king. I am the king. Look what David is saying. I'm the Lord of David. So I'm from the lineage of David, as you will expect it through the Messiah prophecies. But I'm also the Lord of David. Therefore, I am God. I am the one you were expecting. Well, apparently not. Because you don't understand. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's saying, do not be blind. I am the true king. This is me, Jesus. I'm here for you. Why you don't see that? And he goes further. And that's, that's just brilliant. I love the word of God just for that. Because Jesus goes further. He's explaining why are you blind. He's saying that just after in the verses. He says, be careful of the teachers. All of them. Pharisees, Sadducees, all of them. Be careful of them. The ones who are supposed to teach you the truth. Jesus is clearly rebuking the content of the teaching and also the attitude. Regarding the contents, he's saying, they devour in those house. The people who are supposed to know and apply God's law. Okay, God's law. I'm not talking about the gospel here. I'm talking about the God's law. Fail to take care of the weakest in their community. But God told them, Exodus 22.22, do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. Well, guess what? The last story of our passage. This widow coming and putting coins. Guess who were the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Just nearby, watching. Hey guys, see, more money to come for us. Because obviously this money is for the temple, for the people of God. And then we see Exodus. And we see the problem of the teaching here. They probably came to take care of the outcast and the weak of the society. But in fact... In the action, we see that it's not true. But I need to be fair with them, the text, and myself. How often I'm guilty of the same sin? Asking people to do something when I am not able to do it myself. And I'm going to give you a silly example. When you say, or I say to my children, Don't shout! <coughs> when I'm saying that, I'm shouting. 
It makes nonsense. I'm supposed, and I'm supposed to be an example of what I teach. We know that we are not able in our own strength, but Jesus is the one who is going to change the reality of our life and to change me. So I will say to my kids, my kids, don't shout. It'll be nice. It's better like that. And Jesus continue. Content is bad. Your attitude, your behaviors. Look at that. Jesus describes them as people who are showing off, boasting. They are excessive in their pride. Instead of being a model of humility, ready to listen God's teaching, being a servant for others. Now you remember? Love God, love one another. Being a servant for others. The greatest commandment. Love one another. They are excessive in their pride. Instead of being like Jesus, a servant. Mark said that to us two chapters ago. Chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life for, as a ransom for many. And let me say something here. This teaching must be a reality for all of us. And I, I, I don't know you, but I'm warning you. This teaching is not just for the leaders, not just for the preachers, not just for the pastors, elders, deacons, whatever. That's for all of us. Love God, love one another. Do you know the true meaning of minister? The word minister. Do you know the meaning of this word? Yeah, servant. When you call someone a minister, whatever you're thinking, it could be in a public place, government, whatever, the true meaning of this word is servant. Love God and love one another. And Jesus know, He knows our hearts. And because we have a stubborn heart, He continues His plea. He continues to explain something here. And He presents an example. The example of the devouring widow. Devouring teaching. Taking this poor lady. Let them put everything she has. Saying nothing. Instead of obeying God's law. Because if they were obeying God's law. And you see this poor widow coming. What do you do? As teacher of the law. You stand up. You go and say. Wait a minute. What are you doing? What are you doing? You're putting money for the treasure of the temple but we are going to use this money for you because we are protecting you because we are helping you it's a nonsense A to Z it's a nonsense they don't obey God but you see this example and I may be going to not shock but challenge you of you here but this example of the verse 41 to 44 the widow's offering problem I think the, pro- I think the teaching here is not about money Often we use these verses to talk about money. Say, oh, look at her. She's giving everything. So, on you go, guys. Sales, Mercedes and BMWs and gave everything to the church. I think the problem here is not about money. The teaching here is about the heart. The heart of this widow. She wants to give everything. Everything. Maybe for the wrong reason, because the wrong teaching of the Pharisees. But she trusts God when she gave everything to Him. How do you serve and obey God? Do you serve fully? 
Do you serve like the Lord's command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You see, Jesus is warning us about these kind of teachers who build their reputation, their kingdom, on the poor and needy, instead of serving the poor and the needy. So, why is it so difficult to obey God's teaching? Why did they fail? Short answer. They did not understand who Jesus is. Because they are too focused on them, on what they need. Our world is like that as well. Often, we are blind because we look at us rather than Him. That's why we don't understand who is Jesus. In fact, we are blind by nature. Everything in us, our nature of sinner, around us, the lost world, is used against us to blind us on the perfect rule of Jesus in our life. That was the case of these teachers. And that's still the case for us nowadays. Most of the people on earth today, they have so many expectations about God. They don't understand who is Jesus. When I read this chapter, we should be shocked to see this teacher misunderstanding the scripture, and especially on the person of Jesus. Because they know the Old Testament, they know scripture by heart. How on earth could you miss Jesus? Well, that's a massive warning for us as well. Because I can tell you, all of us tonight, if you take one Pharisee against all of us tonight, we have no chance. They, he knows better the whole, the whole scripture than us. Better than us. And yet, he missed the point. So we need to be careful first, not boasting because we are, you know, Christian, evangelical, we trust God, we trust Jesus. We need to be careful. We need to know the word as well. But we need to trust God, to trust Jesus, to see and understand who is Jesus. That's the point of our life. We are the salt and the light in this world. To point him to Jesus, we should be used by God to share the gospel, to share the kingdom of God. It's not about me, it's about him. And I love this verse in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When we expect something from our Lord, let us remember the three things from this chapter. First, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He is God. Secondly, we are called to be minister, humble servants. And finally, serving God is a question of heart. It's about our hearts. It's not about giving money. If you don't know Jesus tonight, or if you know Jesus and you're tired, because that happened, I want to push you to ask this question in your heart tonight. Who is Jesus for me? Let's pray. Dear Father, we are pleased again to be in front of you tonight, in front of your words. And I'm so pleased to be here tonight to feel your Holy Spirit working in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you can use us, all of us, to shine, to take this message of the gospel 
to our neighbor, to around our church, our workplace. I pray, Lord, that you can use this teaching not just for us, but for all our family, our friends. In your precious name, Lord. Amen.